Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Color, a podcast about owning your identity and engaging in your community. My name is Amber Perez, and each month I speak to someone doing incredible things in their local community. So this month I'm here with Monika. Monika has PSC, which is a liver disease that I will let her pronounce because I cannot. I had such a great time speaking with Monika. She has created a wonderful community around parenting and PSC. She's a podcast, she's an artist, and she's an all-around incredible human being. On her creative website, she describes herself as follows. Creative shapeshifter, photographer, idea generator, podcaster, creative instigator, mommy, wife, lover of mugs full of coffee, story catcher, community builder, justice seeker, and transplant recipient. I'm so thankful that she took time out of her day to share her story with us, and I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, Monica. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So you're going to be here talking about PSC, about the community you've created around it and how you kind of advocate and talk more about it. Can you start off by just telling us what it is? Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, PSC stands for primary sclerosing cholangitis. It took me forever to learn how to say it, even longer to learn how to spell it. It is one of the many, many, many autoimmune diseases out there. And this one in particular, you know, autoimmune diseases are about inflammation in some part of the body. PSC is inflammation in your bile ducts and your liver. So over time, the inflammation becomes scarring, and then that creates blockages in your liver, eventually shuts down your liver. And one of the things I didn't know until I had my liver start to shut down is that the liver is actually in charge of over 300 functions in your body. Wow. Um, so it is a very important organ. You know, we think of it often just in the alcohol sense, mm-hmm. um, but the liver is pretty, pretty um, majestic organ that controls a lot of things. And so when it starts to give out, um, it can really affect a lot of parts of your life. But just like any other autoimmune disease, it um, fatigue, pain, um, itching are some of the major things that come with PSC. Mm-hmm. Uh, 70% of people who have, or 70, yeah, 70% of people who have PSC also have some form of IBD, most often ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, both oh, wow. of which affect the, um, the colon um, and are also, you know, affect a lot of your ability to sort of function. So when especially young women or young men are affected with either or both of these, which can happen anywhere from, I've heard as early as four years old, um, you know, it really affects your life. So Mm -hmm. um, I was diagnosed in my early Mm twenties with PSC. So that is where my heart is, is um, young women who are affected by PSC because technically, or 
the, the textbook answer is that it's a middle-aged white male disease. Oh yeah. Um, so when you're a Latina in your twenties and you're diagnosed with PSC, you're like, well, where do I fit in this picture? Like I have so many questions. Oh, wow. Um, so that's kind of where my desire to reach out, um, because it is a rare disease. It does, you don't really meet very many people with it. Um, mm. and it's not, you know, now I talk about it a lot because I've learned the more you talk about your struggles, the more people either share your struggles and you never knew or can, um, are open to share their own, but really it's very rare for people with PSC to meet someone else with PSC in their area, unless it's brought together by some kind of support structure that you Mm -hmm. realize there's other people in your area. Yeah. Is, is there a demographic at all for who's most affected by it or could it be anyone? It could be anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the majority, like they're saying in the research is Mm -hmm. more middle-aged male. I will say that support spaces ironically Mm -hmm. or not ironically are mostly women Um, in the support spaces and some men show up, some young men show up, but it's mostly women. And in my experience, it's mostly white women. Um, So there's a lot of work to do to diversify Mm. the spaces because we know from, you know, I'm very much interested in the research and kind of what's what's actually out there, not just in the spaces that we're in, but who are we missing in support spaces? Um, There is some research that shows that when you look at, so eventually if your liver shuts down, you, the only thing you can do is have a transplant. Mm -hmm. A liver transplant is one of the only treatments for um, progressed PSC. Not everyone progresses, but some people such as I, I had my liver transplant uh, four years ago. Um, But when we look at centers and reasons for transplant, um, I have seen data that says that the reason listed, when the PSC is listed as the reason, there's an equal number to like white PSC patients and black PSC patients who Mm. have PSC at transplant time. So that tells me there's more people out there that are not in the support structures that we've seen. Um, I do have a podcast called PSC Mummy and I've interviewed one other Latina Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I just haven't met that many people sure, yeah. have the same experience either, but I absolutely don't think that's because they aren't out there. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, whether it's, you know, it took me a long time to enter into the support spaces, um, whether it's access to care, um, whether you know you have it or not, right. There are all kinds of reasons why I think that the the spaces aren't as diverse as they could be, but opportunities like this to talk about it, to put the word out saying, you know, this is a thing. And if you do have it, then there's, there are resources available. There are support spaces available. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, of course. No, I think that's so great. Specifically um, in any kind of facet, if you don't see a space and you think that there should be a space for something, a community space or something like going out and making it is so important. Like you're going to touch so many people by doing that. And all it takes is like that one person to say, I think there should be a space here because I don't see it. So I'm going to make it instead of just thinking it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And being diagnosed, not just with PSC, but any 
chronic illness when you are a young woman is incredibly isolating mm-hmm. because at that space, when your friends are going out, you're doing school, you're dating, you're doing all these things and you're too fatigued to get out of bed or you're worrying about your mortality or you're thinking, yeah. you know, I know young women in college who've already had transplants. So a lot of questions come up that are just hard to relate to other folks. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of stigma. There's a few books out there about, you know, what it means, what, what it's like to be a young woman with chronic illness. Um, and I think that space is a really critical one to just have others to say, you're not the only one. Yeah. Right? So um, we have in the patient community, this is not something I started. This is a community I entered. PSC Partners is a national organization that um, educates and connects people on the primary sclerosis and cholangitis community mm-hmm. and their affinity groups. So we have young women's group, you know, I started in the 2030s groups and those were the questions. It was like, can I have kids? <laughs> what do you do when you're dating? How about starting a job? How do you tell your professors? These are the questions that we're asking in our group and answering and helping people sort of work out those instances, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how does the fact that you're in pain and itchy affect your ability to have sex with your partner? Like all those questions that are just sort of like, who do you ask other than people who are going through the same thing? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons I think um, support spaces are so important. Mm -hmm. And not everyone can fly to a conference every year, right? Not everyone can go in person. So one of my, the podcast for me was a space of healing. It was sort of like, how do I, now that I I have bonus years, like I get to keep living. I mean, that's such an intense process to like really face your mortality, go into a surgery and say, I don't know if I'm coming out or not. Um, Part of that healing process for me was creating a space that was like, okay, how do you reach people and tell these stories and answer these questions if you can't meet in person? Mm-hmm. And that to me was the podcasting space was the perfect place to share stories yeah, and to ask people those questions. Mm-hmm. And for me, one of the biggest questions was, can I be a parent? Mm-hmm. If I have this disease, you're telling, I'm reading statistics, which are not actually true, but this is a statistic you read when you search, you have a 10 year mortality rate do you decide to have kids? Like, what does mm-hmm. that look like? And meeting other women with PSC who'd had kids was what um, helped me make the decision to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had my child, I had my transplant when he was 20 months old. You know, what does it look like to go through that process with a child? And when I came out of that, interviewing other women about their experiences, either choosing to or not to have children. Um, I've interviewed people who are going through the surrogacy process. I've interviewed people who had great pregnancies, people who had tough pregnancies, um, and just answered those questions that frankly, your doctors can't answer. They just, it's not something that the medical um, industry, medical field is really set up to answer, right? They Mm -hmm. answer your clinical questions, but they can't really say, you should have a, you know, this is what it's like to have a kid when you're exhausted all the time or you're in pain or you mm-hmm. have, you know, appointments every week. So that's been really helpful, I think, to be able to have those conversations. Yeah. And 
see that there's so many options Mm -hmm. and that there's so many ways that it happens because, Mm -hmm. um, and pushing, you know, I've also had opportunities to their conferences to meet researchers, meet doctors and say, how are you studying us? Like, what's the research? Who's asking these questions for us? Uh, which did lead, you know, us asking all these questions did lead to a, a study where it showed that it turns out women with PSD don't have worse outcomes with pregnancy, right? So it's like, now we know that there's some, some studies that have shown that in a small population, but we know that PSD women can have children. They often come early. My son came early, um, but that the outcomes aren't worse than in the regular population. And other than that, you know, in the autoimmune world, pregnancy can either a third people have their symptoms get worse, a third have them get better, and a third don't change at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't know any of that when I started this journey. All I had was questions and fear. So I like to share what I learned and all the opportunities I had to, to ask questions and, yeah. and share that with other women. Mm-hmm. So how did you find out that you had PSC? I had an irrational itch. Um, It was, I woke up in the morning with bruises on my legs because I was scratching while I was sleeping. It wouldn't go away. It wouldn't Mm. go away. Um, I went to my doctor and it turned, he was out. My regular doctor was out and there was someone kind of filling in for him. And he's like, well, you just have dry skin. It's really dry skin. And I was like, okay, I tried every lotion in CVS, like every lotion. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. And after two or three months of that, thank goodness that, you know, my partner, his family is in the medical field. He was like, we, we are always going to get the best insurance because of all the horror stories you've heard. Um, so we had an insurance policy that, um, you know, the best insurance we could afford. Um, But we had a policy that allowed me to go to a specialist without a referral. Mm. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to a dermatologist. (laughs) This is dry skin. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I'm like bleeding from scratching. I'm bruising from scratching. This is not okay. Um, The dermatologist started off by saying, yeah, probably dry skin, you know, cold showers, da-da-da. She's like, just in case I'm going to do some blood work. Um, and that when she got that back, she called me, she's like, you have to go back to your doctor, your liver numbers are off. So, you know, that started me then on my journey, my regular doctor sent me to an amazing hepatologist in Boston. I love her to death. Um, and you know, she just, I found really great care and I know that's very rare. Mm. (laughs) I've heard lots of stories, you know, of people who aren't listened to young women who aren't listened to, who are questioned about how they feel and it's really important to kind of it's hard but important to like stand in your truth of how you when you know something's wrong with your body mm-hmm. you know if I had just said okay I have dry skin and I'm itching and itching and my liver is getting worse and worse without any treatment or care right it's like I had to be like no something else is wrong here and I need more attention um, and luckily was able to get that mm-hmm. So that's, and then even then they weren't sure for a long time when I had the colitis um, symptoms come up, then it was like, oh, this is probably Mm -hmm. PSC. And it took it progressing in order for it to be diagnosed um, for real. And the colitis and the PSC kind of take turns going back and forth, (laughs) (laughs) making themselves known. Uh, My PSC progressed for nine years 
Um, and like I said, after I had my son, uh, my liver kind of was like, oh, that was a lot. <laughs> and um, kind of went downhill. My, my um, became very cirrhotic. And then I was able to luckily have my transplant um, in 2017. And two years later, I've actually unfortunately been diagnosed with PSE again. So in 20% mm-hmm. of people who are transplanted, or they say the numbers are squishy, but they say in about 20% of people who have transplant for PSE, they have a recurrence where it comes back. So I'm sort of in the, in the thick of it again. Um, and I, I, I joke that after my transplant, I kind of pulled away from the community. Like I didn't want to know about PSC anymore. And PSC said, nope, you still have work to do, hon. Miha, come over here. We need you. Yeah. So we're going to bring you back to the community. Uh-huh. <laughs> you need to get loud. You need to do, do what you need to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, now I, since that re-diagnosis, I have re-engaged in the greater community. We have on Facebook um, a group called Pretty Sick Chicks. So, mm. you know, that was formed way before me. Um, but I've kind of, um, we've started to do monthly Zoom call, you know, all the things that have happened during the pandemic where people are connecting in different ways. Mm. So that's another space where yeah. um, I'm not leading it, but I'm definitely a part of that group in helping young women and bringing them in. And again, saying you're not alone right? Like you're not alone. We've been through this, that lots of people have different stories. Not everyone's story is um, the same. Some people never have a transplant. Some people never have symptoms. Um, And whatever it is that comes up, there's usually someone else in the group who's been like, oh yeah, I have that too. (laughs) Wow. So you created this community around PSC and parenting. Um, How did it come about? How is it going now? Was it just you that kind of steamrolled with it? Do you have a couple people that you got together with? How did it happen? So that is um, the PSC Mummy. Is mm-hmm. the, I have a website that is not a podcast in a normal sense where I'm like always putting out stories. Again, it's a rare disease. It's even rare for women mm-hmm. um, of childbearing age to have it. It's even rare for those folks to be really comfortable sharing their medical information on a podcast. So mm-hmm. um Basically, the way I run it is if someone with PSC who wants to talk about parenting wants to share their story, and every few months I get an email saying, I'm ready, <laughs> ready to share my story. So then we pop an episode up there. I think of it more like a resource mm-hmm. library of interviews. It's like, here's a set of experiences that you can listen to. Here's a page with resources. Um, I try to collect things like on there we have from child life specialists saying, how do you talk to your kids when you're, when you're chronically ill? What do you tell them? How do you have those conversations? If you're going into transplant, like, how do you do it? And even that, like I've learned over from my podcast from other women. And now as my son gets older, he's five now, I use that knowledge that they shared with me through the podcast to talk to him, right? So we've had the language for a while of like, mommy's body works different right? Like these are the things, here's the medicines that I need. And here's why I need to go see my doctors. Um, and that language also has just allowed me to talk about other people's situations. You know, mm-hmm. like, remember people's bodies work differently. Here's That's what mommy's bodies need. Here's what your body needs. Here's what puppy's body needs. You know, mm-hmm. like here's what our neighbor, here's how, you know, so it's, 
it's really been helpful language for not just me, but to talk about the wider world and the differences in bodies that people have and the different needs that people have, mm-hmm. you know, helping me think about when I was hospitalized last year and it was the first time he was aware, right? He's, it was four to say, okay, when I ordered my dinner, I knew he was coming to visit. I got an ice cream cup. When he came into my room, he got ice cream. He got to play with the bed buttons, you know, like all these tips that I'd learned from other women um, for him now, that's a great experience. He's like, mommy, remember when I visited you in the hospital, we had chocolate ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the kind of, you know, it's sort of putting this information out there so that people have these tools. Um, another question that comes up a lot is like, if I have a liver transplant, can I still have kids? And there's a whole support network around that, around women who are able to have um, kids post-transplant. Um, obviously you talk about that with your doctor, with, you know, your body, Mm -hmm. but there are women in our community as well who have had um, children after their transplant. So all these things are super scary. Like, what do you, I'm on these medications and this is not just for a PSC or transplant. It's like, I have to take this medication and I'm pregnant. Is that okay? Um, Unfortunately, and understandably the medical community, clinical trials, they're very wary of putting pregnant women in clinical trials, right? Because you have the risk of that that medicine causes some kind of um, damage or hurt to the baby and the mom. Mm-hmm. So they're just not included, right? They're not included. And then you're, ma- you're making these decisions when you're pregnant to say, is this medicine safe for me? And no one Oh, mm. sometimes people can't really tell you. So there is actually an organization I found out of, um, I believe it's University of Texas, the baby or the infant risk center mm-hmm. um, that you can call them. Like I call them at least five times during my pregnancy being like, all right, I have this procedure. <laughs> this is the sedative they're going to give me, or this is the, whatever they're going to give me. What do you guys know about that? And they could kind of talk me through, or like, this is what we know about how it crosses the placental wall. This is so it was just great to have those resources. Again, a lot of women, you know, how do you know about that? Like, how do you find that information? Yeah, that's incredible. Just saying here, here are these resources. So that's the kind of, as far as community, I would say it's more of a resource space mm-hmm. than, you know, a community that like chats with each other because there are those spaces already through mm-hmm. PSC partners. There are those spaces through PSC or Pretty Sick Chicks. Um, So more, it was no one is focusing or there isn't a lot of focusing on what does it mean to be a parent, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that the young women who are having these thoughts like I was, but couldn't go meet people, had a place where they could get some answers, right? Mm -hmm. And, And could reach out to somebody and you know, I'm very, very open with my story. <laughs> People can call me and I'm more than happy to chat uh, about any point of the process. Um, so that has been really a gift for me to be able to hold these stories yeah, and share my experience and what I've learned from talking to so many people. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wish people who maybe weren't familiar with PSC knew more about or more about organ donation? Mm-hmm. So PSC is a rare disease. Mm-hmm. And 
I think some people sometimes will get frustrated because it is true that we can go to an ER and it's happened to me because you, your doctors have told you go to the ER and then Mm -hmm. no one in that ER knows what PSE is or what to do for you. Right. So yes, that is frustrating. Um, Also, Mm -hmm. I know that PSE is one of over 1200 rare diseases, right. That are cataloged by the national organization of rare disorders. So I think part of it is what I said earlier that one, to know that there are so many rare diseases, know that the people around us are often affected by these rare diseases. Um, I grew up in the military. I moved a lot. I've continued to move as an adult. I will say my experience has been that in each place, I always have about three, a group of three of us who are good friends. And I would say two out of three of us have autoimmune diseases now as adults, right? So as I look back on my life, I'm like, yep, two out of three, two out of three, two out of three, wow. three out of five. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people hold these kind of conditions um, that you find as you get older often. Um, so I think one thing to know is that many people carry things like this without talking about them, right? Because our society really values health, really values productivity, really value, you know, like those are the things that are show that you are successful or that you are well or whatever that means. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So having grace for folks who can't do the things every day, because that's the other thing about autoimmune diseases. One day you could be, I mean, I've run half marathons and then I've also not been able to get out of bed. Right. So Autoimmune diseases are tricky like that. Um, And that's not just to PSC. As far as organ donation, um, this is not a world that I knew before PSC. It scared me to death. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's the wrong words to use, but it really scared me (laughs) to think about liver transplant. Like initially when people even suggest to me that I would need a liver transplant, I would just start crying. and like, not want to talk to those people. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds huge. Now it's part of my everyday life, right? Now mm-hmm. I know many people who have been transplanted. Um, I'm very open about it. People joke that the first time they meet me, they already know I've had a liver transplant. But you know what often happens is that I've met people that also have had transplants and are like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that on the first meeting. I had a transplant too. <laughs> or my dad had a transplant or my uncle had a transplant. Um, so it is more common than people think. Um, it's more needed than people think. Um, mm. There are thousands of people waiting um, for organ transplants. Some people don't make it. They die before the organ is available. Um, over half of people waiting for organ transplants are people of color. Um, and people of color are often the least likely to sign up to be organ donors. So it's a very interesting um, dynamic in our communities about mm-hmm. what organ transplant, uh, organ donation and transplantation means, right? There are a lot of myths. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Grey's Anatomy. I've been watching it since the beginning. They do not do transplant well. It is all wrong. I have yelled at the TV. It is so wrong. <laughs> Even, you know, so it's like there's so much misinformation about what the process is, how mm-hmm. it's made. Um, you can't just go taking organs without permission. The teams that take organs or who, who once some, a family has agreed, not take organs, 
once a family has agreed that or a person has agreed to be an organ donor, there's no communication between them and the folks who receive the team that receives um, those organs. So even that is, you know, on TV, it's like in the same hospital, they're talking, it's like, no, that does not happen. It all happens through a different organization. They manage everything. Um, I actually don't know anything about my donor. Um, there's so much, there's a lot of confidentiality. Um, my, um, I was able to send them a letter just to say thank you to the donor, my donor's family. Mm -hmm. They can choose whether they receive that or not. Mm -hmm. They can choose whether they write me back or not. Um, so far they have not made that choice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very complex, all the feelings, um, on both sides of what, what, what that process is. Um, so I think, for me, I know that the last four years have been my bonus years. I'll try to cry. I'll try not to cry to get through this part, but like I've had moments where I look at my son jumping on the bed and I just start crying gratitude because I'm here. And that's because someone said yes. Someone said either the person themselves said, I'm going to be a donor, organ donor and signed up and or the family at the moment of their greatest loss said yes, right? That we'll give life to someone else, even as we're losing a loved one. I don't know what that situation was. Sure, yeah. Take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because of whoever decision that was, right? I get to see my son. And that's mm -hmm. what I know about organ transplantation now and organ donation. Um, there are many places, you know, if people have questions, donate life organizations nationally and in each of the states have a lot of information, frequently asked questions, you know, addressing different myths about organ donation. And I highly recommend people to look at that, if they have questions, go to, you know, contact me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we can talk it out. I can find information if I don't know it. Um, because I will tell you that going to my appointments, I've been to three different transplant centers and when I'm in waiting rooms, it's people from all walks of life that are waiting to, um, have another chance. Mm -hmm. and I don't take lightly that I was able to have that chance and others haven't. I've mm -hmm. known people who have passed waiting. So Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think everyone who gets to hear you is probably also really glad that you're here. Um, switching gears. I'd love yeah. to talk to you about your artistic outlets. Um, yeah. Can you tell me about how um, Our Latina Lens started? Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I am a, a, I think a lifelong artist, but um, a hesitant artist all my life. I did my second round of education was um, going to art school, which I was terrified of. What was um, the first round? I did journalism. Oh, journalism, cool. And mm -hmm. then I went back for um, to art school. Mm -hmm. I was still scared. So I went into art education because, you know, you got to get that real job. Even yeah. Though, you know, I, <laughs> I know that's a myth. And I tell all my students, I've told my students, like, you know, art can be your thing. Um, mm -hmm. But I bought into the myths about, you know, the, the starving artists. I was an art teacher for 10 years. And once I had PS, you know, 
my PSC was progressing my, and my son was born, I had to make a choice about work. And, um, you know, I had PSC at my job as an, at an art school, which I love, love, loved. And I had my son and I, I couldn't give up PSC. I couldn't obviously give up my son, didn't want to. So I had to give up <laughs> mm-hmm. working. Um, so right now I'm officially a stay-at-home mom and mm-hmm. I've returned, you know, when you have bonus years, you have an opportunity to say like, what, what do I want to do? What are the things I haven't done? You know, people ask, like, if you were to die tomorrow, like, I'm like, if I would have died on that table four years ago, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. I hadn't gotten my transplant four years ago, what would I have been really, what do I want to do now? So for me, that's photography. It's something that I've returned to. Um, I'm not going to pretend I'm like the best photographer, right? I haven't invested those years yet, but I'm on my way. And I had this moment of, you know, during the pandemic, really looking around and saying, none of my favorite photographers are Latinas. Like, why? Why? Who who are the Latina photographers I know? Oh, wait, who? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And starting to do research. And I know, again, I know they're out there. I know they're, you know, and now that I've really dug into it, I know there's a lot of amazing Latina photographers out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't, you know, going off the support space, I couldn't find a space where that I could enter into as a returning to photography person and be around other Latina photographers. So the idea of our Latina lens is to create a group of either to educate each other, to commune in space. Um, It's at its very initial stages. Um, having conversations actually next week with some um, women who are in this space and saying, how do we do this, right? How do we create something and how do we create it in community? Because again, when you're someone with a chronic illness, when you're someone who's thought about their mortality, like, I don't want this to be about me and it can't be about me because if there are events, you know, I need to say, what, what's something sustainable that can go on if I need to stuck out because I'm sick or I need a surgery Mm -hmm. or, you know, so I'm very much thinking collectively and right now, um, just I'm on Instagram a lot, looking for people who are tagging their pictures as Latina photographers. I'm, um, a new book just came out by Elizabeth Ferrer called Latinx Photography, um, in the United States. And it's the first book of history of um, that, you know, US-based, US-born photographers, um, which I'm so excited about. When I did go to art school, I remember my, one of my only few arguments with a teacher was my history of photography teacher, um, because we weren't learning about any photographers of color. And I was like, are you telling me no photographer of color has ever picked up a camera? Like, that's not true. I know it's yeah. not true. Why, mm-hmm. <laughs> Why aren't we learning about them? Um, so I'm so excited about the work that Elizabeth is doing. And again, just being part of gathering people together and saying, what are you doing? How can we support you? How can we elevate you? How can we elevate each other? Um, I think, uh, uh, over the years, just come to that space of like, I don't want a seat at the table. I want my own table. <laughs> <laughs> I want our own table and it's going to have really good cafecito and <laughs> be amazing and you know um so yeah it's just an effort to similar to what I've experienced in the PSC world to say how do we come together and support each other because we're not 
um, competitors, you know, mm. it's, it's about elevating each other and wherever we are, that's mm-hmm. also part of it for me mm-hmm. is having seen lots of different from fine art photography to journalistic photography to, you know, mama photography now in the family world. And I've done some of that work now. Um, how do we kind of elevate each other and, and learn about those who came before us, who, who are the shoulders that we stand on, who have not been elevated before in the history books, who have not been elevated and brought into, you know, even when I look at like, you know, let, you know some of the Latino magazines, I'm like, wait a minute, these photographers aren't Latinos. Like, <laughs> where, where, are, where are people? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind our Latina lens is to start that conversation mm-hmm. and, and see what it becomes. Mm-hmm. And do you, um, do you practice photography every day? What does a, a normal day look like for you? I am officially a stay-at-home mom and mm-hmm. I unschool my child. So we're, we've been doing a lot of, or I've been doing a lot of thinking about decolonizing education. Oh, wow. um, I was in the education field for 10 years. I love my school and also saw how the system really did not work um, for many children. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at an arts high school. I saw how a lot of kids had a lot of healing to do around their creative selves by the time I got to ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I see, you know, my child is very rambunctious, very free spirited. And um, for many reasons that I won't give into, because that's not the space of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think unschooling was really the space for him. So we do a lot of like thinking about the world as a learning space and following his lead, a lot of self-directed education thinking. Um, I have been doing for the last two years, 365 projects, which is trying to take a picture every day um, and kind of cataloging that, which was amazing last year because now I have have my little book of photos from the pandemic of just like, this is what 2020 looked like in our life. (laughs) You know, you really see the shift from the beginning of the year on. Um, right before the pandemic, I, I had filed for a photography business license. I had started, I had my website, I'd revamped my website. I had cl- some clients lined up. Um, you know, I think that's a story a lot of people have about like, it was about to happen and then everything shut down. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and being someone who's immunocompromised because of my transplant, mm-hmm. um, it was extra important. Our family really chose to be very, very tight in our bubble of mm-hmm. three. And because we didn't know, you know, at that time, and even now, you know, there are studies coming out that vaccines don't work as well for post transplant patients because of our immunosuppression. So there are a lot of considerations. Um, but I know that since I was a kid, photography's in my blood. And even if I can't be out making the magic that I see in my head in the studio and all that stuff, I think that's another space where our Latina lens comes in, right? Saying like, but I can support other people who are doing their work. I can mm-hmm. do personal projects. I've done projects about being chronically ill mom. I've you know, photographed within our home. I photographed, um, the other day I got, you know, my son plays with our neighbors and they throw toys over the fence because again, we're still being very careful. So I got kind of a picture of them peeking over the fence and just documenting like, what is this life right now in the pandemic pandemic world? 
Um, so, you know, we do what we can. We yeah. do what we can with what we have and um, use the amazing power of the internet to connect yeah. with others. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to end. Thanks so much for being here. Can you tell us where we can find you? Sure. So all the primer, uh, PSC stuff, you can go to PSC, mommy, M-A-M-I dot com, and I'll connect to, to everything. Officially, it's on Instagram at PSC Mummy, um, but I'm not super active there. Um, also, uh, Lancla, L-A-A-N-C-L-A dot com is kind of my personal projects page. So you can find everything else from photography, our Latina lens, homeschooling, everything's um, kind of the hub is there and you can connect to all those spaces. Great, thanks so much. Thank you, Amber. Thank you so much for listening to Color. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share it with a friend. To keep up with the podcast on Instagram, go to color underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find journaling exercises for every episode on the Color Community Patreon and color merch on Redbubble. All the links are in the podcast description. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, take care of yourself.